0: First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, I want to read about the importance of understanding how short our life is. How many know that the life we live on this earth is short? And we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not even promised tomorrow. And we need to live every day like it's our last. And we know that as believers. But how many know we can get so caught up and busy in life that we forget? Have you ever walked around, driven around, gone around during your day and realized it stopped enough to think, man, this, this body right here is really fragile. And we, we do things all the time. We're we're going and going and going and never stop for a second to think, man, this thing could just shut down right now. I got a heart in me that could just stop. Or I could be driving down the road. I could get in an accident. I mean, there's so many things that could happen. I was pulling in to a, st- to a parking lot the other day and I was at the, at the light and you know there's a lot of people coming and then they start to begin to stop because it's so backed up at a light and then all the cars are stopped. Well, this car went in front of me. All the cars were stopped except the far lane and as he turned, I saw out of the corner of my eye that car coming fast in that one lane that wasn't stopped and thank God he just barely clipped the truck but he did hit the truck and they pulled into the parking lot and I went over there to make sure they were okay but how many know two seconds earlier, that thing would have hit straight head on, and I'd have been looking at a bad accident. Life is fragile, and we cannot continue to live our lives as believers. One, that we're going to live forever, and two, that this world's going to live forever. Like Robert said in the prayer, we need to be thinking about the lost that are outside these walls. Because right now, there's people passing into eternity as I'm snapping my fingers. And 1 Corinthians 15 says, and I, what I want us to talk about tonight, if you're taking notes, is if this world is all we have... Some of you might remember this message. If this world is all we have. Now, one of the reasons I'm preaching this again is because we have people that are constantly coming in new and they haven't heard this. This is a message that as believers we need to understand. That if we focus on this world too much, we lose our heavenly minds. We lose what, what we're really trying to graduate to. How many realize tonight that we are just, as the Bible says, passing through? This is just a test for eternity. And in the span of eternity, I'm not going to take the time to go into eternity tonight. You need to realize this is nothing. This would be not even, we couldn't even calculate it as a millisecond in what eternity is. In the span of what eternity is. And we spend so much time thinking about this life and not thinking about life after death. And Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. If you're there, say amen. He said, yes, we are also found, yes, and we are, all, are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In Watch this, in 19, this one I want you to focus on. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitied. Amen? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are pitied. That means if we believe tonight that... That just the hope of Christ is while we're alive, that I'm a good person and God's changed my life and I'm, I'm going to live for the Lord and we just have this religious attitude and don't understand that when we die, this flesh is done. And the only thing that's going to live on is your spirit. Can you say amen? Our spirit is going to live forever. And so it, we believe in the Bible that says that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He made no mistakes, but that wasn't enough. Then he died for us. He died on the cross. He, his nails and, his, and his, his hands and his feet were pierced to the cross. And he bled, the Bible says. That was not enough. Amen? If he would have stayed in the grave, church, everything we do and everything we believe would be lost and hopeless. But how many know that Jesus did not stay in the grave? That he came out of that grave, and by the power of God that was in him, he conquered death. He conquered sin, he conquered sickness, he conquered hopelessness, he conquered everything you face on a daily basis because he rose from the dead, and if we don't believe that, if we don't stand on that, then we are lost tonight, amen, but how many are thankful that if he rose from the dead, the Bible says when I die, I will rise from the dead too, amen, and I'm not going to live in that grave, but I'm coming out. And we know tonight that we're living in a time where Jesus could blow the trumpet at any moment and we won't have to die. I believe I'm not gonna die. I believe I'm going up in the air. But what I also believe is that if we're only looking at this world, we're we're miserable. If you're focused, now I'm gonna go both ways tonight, I'm gonna hit you at every angle. When I was in, well, let me read something to you. How many know that there's a whole lot of, I'm just going to use athletes because I like sports, but there's athletes and there's singers and there's movie actors and there's business people who have a lot of money. How many know there's a lot of money in this world? I mean a lot. And for instance, there, there's basketball players that make 25 to $30 million a year. For playing sports. And that's not even endorsements. That's not anything else but their salary. You know that comes down to $2 million a month. Anybody y'all could think you could make it on $2 million a month? You know what that breaks down to a day? $66,000 w- a day. How many think your problems might be solved if you had $66,000 a day? You know what? Your problems would be solved. You'd have a problem of trying to spend the money. That breaks down to three thousand dollars an hour some of us don't make that in a month and they make it in an hour they have their full-time job is to spend the money that they make but you know what there was somebody in the Bible who had way more money than any athlete any famous person or even the richest man on this earth today, which is Bill Gates. He just got number one again. He just climbed back up again. King Solomon had way more money than all these people probably put together. Let me read something to you. I could even say he didn't just have money. He had something more valuable than money. How many know right now, like they're, they're talking about gold and silver and buying gold and buying silver and all these different things? Well, that's what Solomon had. He didn't have no cash. He had the heavy stuff. And the Bible says that he had gold and silver and tons of resources. Solomon was so rich that he controlled money. He was Wall Street. He had so much money that he could basically, he could tell Bill Gates, hey, this year I'm going to let you be rich. And next year you're going to be on food stamps. That's how rich King Solomon was. He had the power to dictate if $10 was a lot of money or $10 trillion was a lot of money. And it was the truth. He was that rich. According to the Bible, and you don't have to go there, it's just an example. In 1 Kings 10, 13 to 15, and 2 Chronicles, King Solomon received 666 talents of gold per year as a salary. He also received other monies from merchants and traders and surrounding governments, and he took an annual salary that ended up being, listen to this 3.8 billion dollars a year. And when you work that out over his 40 years that he, in his lifetime, he made over 222 trillion dollars in his career. 222 trillion dollars on today's market. Amen? Now, one of the reasons he needed that much money was to take care of the 700 wives that he had. That's a lot of, lot of wives to take care of. Amen? But he still had money left over, I'm sure. Bill Gates is the richest man on the face of the earth, and he has, as has an asset, $300 billion. That's not even a trillion. And Solomon had $222 trillion. And guess what? Guess where Solomon ended up? Lost. Following the women, doing other things, amen. How many know that there's a, a lot of people that have a lot of money, and if that's all they have is money, they're really lost. Some of y'all saying, "Hey, I don't know. I might would like to give it a try and see how if I, you know, how I'd feel about it." Nobody in here is going to lie and say they wouldn't like to try. And see, you know, what it would be like to spend that much money or have that much money. And you, you can get religious and think of all the great things you'd spend it on and everything. Amen? And I'm not going to go there. That's another message. But the bottom line is, if that's all we have, if I was filthy rich or you were filthy rich, you were the richest person on this earth, if that was all you had was 60 or 80 years of wealth and then you died, if this world is all we have, it's a sad thing. Now let me go to the other way. Well, you're just talking about the rich. Well, let's go to the poor. Let's go to the poorest of the poor. I, I don't know if I've ever met the poorest person in the world, but I've been around a lot of poverty. In Congo, Africa, Costa Rica. We worked for 10 years in the sp- most poverty-stricken places. I've been in houses where I've sat down on a, on a piece of wood for a chair with dirt floor no running water walls made out of tin that were grabbed from trash pieces of of wood that they found all just they're called ranchos i've i've seen it i was in the congo and i've told this story before to and maybe some of you remember that i was i i, I really lo- i really love kids amen i i love other people's kids a lot too amen more sometimes cuz i don't want more two is good but i like kids amen not like pastor chris likes kids but I like kids. And I love to mess around with them and play with them. And I'll tell you a story later about how jealous I made Pastor Chris with his little daughter. I won her over. But when I was in the Congo, I took candy. The best thing I did that whole trip was take a bag of candy. A big old bag of that just mixed candy. And I'll never forget in the Congo, getting out of that truck, they would drive us from the hotel straight to the church. We couldn't stop. We couldn't get out. Couldn't take pictures. It was the it's the it's the most oppressive Poor place I've ever seen in my life. It's almost like if you were watching the movie, it was just gray. Just, there was no color. Nothing was painted. It was just dirty and stinky, and it was so it was so gray. The clouds were gray. I didn't see the sun the whole week. Just a poverty stricken place. And I remember getting out of that car and taking some candy and giving some candy to these kids. And boy, they flocked. All the kids came running when I pulled that candy out. I'll never forget going into the church. Walking back out a few minutes later and watching four kids standing over on the side and looking at each other and one kid had this, this uh, jawbreaker in his mouth and he was sucking away on that jawbreaker and the other three kids were like this waiting to get that thing out of his mouth and then they put it in their mouth and they would take it out of one kid's and they'd grab it and stick it in the other and four kids shared one piece of candy. Now that's Poverty. That's, you, so you, you go from one extreme to the other. If, if poverty, the poorest of the poor, the nothing of the nothingness, or the wealthiest of the wealthy is all we have to look forward to, and that this life is all we have, the Bible says right here, we are to be most pitied. Man, it's quiet in here. Ecclesiastes 5. Listen to some things that Solomon says. He who loves silver. Now, I want to just go back to Solomon for a second because sometimes we tend to be able to relate somehow more to the the person who may be rich because we think, man, well, the poor person never knew what it was like to be rich. And, 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 And a poor person can be rich with the easiest things. That's what's amazing. But going back to Solomon, this is in Ecclesiastes after he's written a lot of books and after he's he is really, in a, in, to, to be honest with you, he's in his falling state right now. And he's dealing with his flesh and he's going back. Because a lot of times as people, we tend to relate to one person or another. You, you're usually not going to just sit there and relate to the middle. You're going to think either somebody really poor or somebody really rich. We always try to think what I don't have. How many are honest tonight? Amen. Say, there's just, you know, I don't, it's not what I have. And we kind of question and we wonder, well, maybe my life would be more fulfilled if... And you put in the blank. If I had a different this, if I had a different that, if I had more this and I had more that. But I'm telling you about someone in the Bible, God's perfect book, amen, that Solomon says in these words, let me read some words, let me read some reflections from this $222 trillion man. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance will, with increase. Do you realize that the more you have, the more you want? That tends to be the problem with, with richness. That tends to be the reason Jesus said that it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because a rich man is never satisfied. Now I'm talking in general, of course. And then he says, nor he who loves abundance with increase, and he says, this is vanity. When, listen, he says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their own eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. The abundance of the rich. I've I've said this before, and I feel led to say this again tonight for somebody. Somebody needs to hear this. There was an athlete, a rich athlete, who was that kind of person who made all the, and if you don't care about athletes, it doesn't matter. Relate to the money he had. He had all kinds of money and he began to have somebody share their faith with him about Jesus during his life and all along his life. You know, you need to remember that when you're planting those seeds to somebody, just keep planting them. Just keep telling people about the Jesus you love. Realize you're not going to change anybody. You're not the Holy Spirit, but keep throwing those seeds out. Keep telling them about what Jesus has done for you and you'll never know who you're going to touch. People kept telling this guy all his life about the Lord and about Jesus. And he was too busy with his fame. But he got to a place that in his career, he got to the highest of the highest of the highest. I don't even need to say his name. He's one of the most famous players ever. And he got to the highest of the highest. And he tells his testimony that later he got saved and gave his life to the Lord and gave gave Jesus his life. But he tells his testimony that he had a $10,000 bedroom suite. $10,000 Ten thousand dollars worth of furniture around him, and he could not sleep at night. He'd have two or three thousand dollar pairs of shoes, and he says, I didn't know where I was going. And he said one time where he really hit rock bottom. How many know we gotta hit rock bottom sometimes before we look up? And say, God, I am tired of running. And it no matter if you're poor or rich or in between, there is a place where you're going to realize that only Jesus can fill the void that is in your heart. Amen. There will be a time, and hopefully, church, listen, it's not too late. Amen. Hopefully, it's while you're alive, while you're able to make a choice. Because how many know the Bible says everybody is going to make that choice eventually? He said, "Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord." It makes me laugh in a sad way when somebody tells me, I just don't believe. Well, you're gonna. You're going to. Well, I just don't feel it. Well, I'm just not sure if it's true. Well, you're gonna. Every time you get exposed to the gospel, you become more accountable for what you've heard. Believer or non-believer. And this man, he went and bought a car. He went and bought, I don't even know what year it was, but just know that a Ferrari is an expensive car. He said, if I go and buy a brand new Ferrari cash. Now tonight you might not care about a Ferrari. You put in there what it is that you would want to go buy cash. Some of y'all would buy a crock pot. That's fine. <laughs> so I don't eat somebody'd be a TV, whatever it is, it don't really matter. Just put in the blank for what you would buy. If you could just go buy one thing, if you've got a thing, man, if I just if I could just go buy one thing, maybe it's a house, whatever. He said, if I could just buy this car cash, I believe it will fill my void. He went and paid cash for that, probably at that time, $300,000 cash for a car. Got in that thing and turned it on, drove to the edge of the parking lot. He was happy when he turned that thing on. Man, he's like, yes, I have arrived. He says in his story, he got to the edge of that parking lot to pull onto oncoming traffic and his heart sunk to the bottom of the car. And he had a void. He didn't even get off the parking lot and realized that car was not going to fill his void. And guess what he did? He tells his testimony, he went and drove that thing off a cliff, tried to kill himself. Obviously, he didn't die, thank God. But how many are following what I'm trying to say? It doesn't matter tonight what you're trying to fill life, what your life with. All I'm trying to say is, if this life, whether it's good or it's bad, or it's miserable, or it's full of joy, or it's not. If this life only is all we have, we are miserable people. If this is it, I thank God this is not it. Now, let go with me to Luke chapter 16. I'm going to run through this real quick. I'm going to go, I'm going to get moving now. So follow me. I've given you a good uh, base to go by. Luke chapter 16. I want to I tell you how many believe tonight that Jesus, his word is alive. And when it's written in red, amen, it's his words. And you know the story, I'm not going to read the whole story, but this is the story of the rich man of Lazarus, Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31. And you can read it later for time, but many of you have heard the story. And this is where there will be people who will say, you know what, there is no heaven. There is no hell. When this life is over, the lights go out. And here, I got a news flash for you tonight. If that's the case, we'll never know. of y'all get that? If that's true, we'll never know. The lights will go out and we'll never see each other again. No one will be able to say, you were wrong and I was right and I was right and you were wrong. The lights will just go out. But the question is, what if the lights don't go out? Or what if they go out for a split second and the lights come back on and it's the shining brightness of the God Almighty who created the universe and you're standing before him and have to give account for your life? That's what I believe. Luke 16, without going into this story, tells us there is a heaven and there is a hell. See, as human beings, we like to believe one or the other. How many know we like to believe what makes us feel good? If I don't really want to believe in heaven... I just don't believe. And if I don't really want to think about hell, I just don't think about it. And, And we just kind of do that out of sight, out of mind thing. But there is a heaven and there is a hell. Even though there's not a whole lot of preaching on the second one nowadays. And there's people that say this is hell. Wow. What a beautiful hell. And you might say, hey, some people do live in hell. That's that's true. uh, Hell on earth could be understood. Some people do live in in a life of hell on this earth. But it's not hell. It's still this earth. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, don't forget, it's appointed under man once to die, then comes judgment. Now, I didn't write the book. You didn't write the book, but I believe what It says, I believe that when this life ends, per the Bible, we are going to have to give an account for our lives. And we see in that parable, without getting into it for time, we see a verse, 25's got an emphasis. He says, Abraham says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now he's comforted, and you're tormented. The The rich man dies, and Lazarus dies. And they both go down. At that time, there was an abyss between paradise and hell. At that time, before Jesus died. And at that time, the Bible says that on one side, they were comforted and in paradise. And on the other side, they were tormented. And that man said it was so bad, he said, Would you please just come and dip your fingertip in water and put it on the tip of my tongue? That's pretty bad. Didn't even ask for a glass of water. If you could just dip your finger in water and put it on the tip of my tongue. And the Bible says clearly here, church, in this parable, he says there is a heaven and there is a hell. Heaven is a place of comfort and hell is a place of torment. Y'all with me? Come on, don't get so quiet on me, amen? This is the Wednesday night crowd, amen? There is a place of comfort, and there is a place of torment. And he says in this thing, here's the the powerful thing, that we know that this wasn't just a parable or just an ideology. The rich man, remember that when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and put our faith in him, the Bible says our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible says in this parable in Luke 16, Lazarus. He had a name. But the other guy is Lazarus. The rich man. In hell, there's going to be the actor, the singer, the athlete, the scholar, the business person, the atheist, the this and the that. There will be no names because the, he says at the end, depart from me, I knew you not. Not. The only way God could know your name is when you confess his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he writes your name down in the Lamb's book of life. We need to spend a little bit more time on this earth thinking about our eternity. Because if this is all we have, and and you know what? You might say today, hey, pastor, my life is pretty good. I hope it is. I hope you're having a good life. I think I have a pretty good life. I have a beautiful wife. I have two beautiful daughters. I live in a nice house. I have a car that doesn't break down on me. I'm thankful for the life I live, but I can still stop and say tonight, if this is it, man, that's it? Wow, y'all are quiet, man. I need to get somebody to just say amen for a second. Just, just say amen. amen. Okay, all right, all right. Go to Mark chapter nine real quick. Mark chapter nine. Let's see what Jesus said about this world. I hang on the words of Jesus. And if you, just, just to throw this out real quick, you know, I talked about that world vision thing. If you, you, you always have people that say, well, Jesus didn't say this or Jesus didn't say that about stuff. Well, go read Matthew 19 and you'll see what Jesus said about marriage. Just go read that book and see what Jesus said. Because they always try to think Jesus has got something different than the rest of the Bible. When the Bible is around Jesus. Kind of hard to get away from that. Mark chapter 9 verse 42. You Say an amen if you're there. I'm going to push through this real fast. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go to hell if the fi- where the fire shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two feet and be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. And look at verse 46, second time he says this, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched now just doctrinally tonight church remember that there are people that teach erroneously that when we die and even if we do go to hell we will burn and it will be over we will be annihilated we will be consumed in the fire but jesus was very clear how many know jesus could have just said to the fire he could have just left it at that and said, they're going to go. And, that, and th- if they're rebellious, that's where they're going to go. And listen, let me tell you something real quick. Just real quick. I'm going to take two seconds on this. Get out of your head and your mind. How could God send somebody to a place like that? Because God doesn't send anybody to hell. The Bible says his place is, your place is heaven tonight. And he did not send anybody there. We send ourselves by rejecting Christ to hell. Get that. I'm not even going to say what. Get it out of your head. Because that's what the world will try to use and it's not going to make it go away. It's still going to be there. Well, I don't believe it. Well, it's still going to be there because I don't believe it and you don't believe it doesn't make it cease to exist. And Jesus was so specific about it. Do you ever think, you go, man, why would Jesus be so specific about hell? Because he doesn't want you to go there. He doesn't want anybody to go there. If you're describing a place that's bad, you really describe it good, don't you? Hey, man, you do not want to go there because, and you're really descriptive about it, because you don't want him to go there. Jesus was very descriptive. He said, this is a place where the fire's never quenched, where the worm does not die. That means it's, it's continuous. And he's basically saying, all he's saying in this is, hey, take me serious. That's basically what this comes down to. We talk about the hand and the foot. And then it's going to go on in verse 47. It says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And you know God's not asking us to go grab a hanger tonight. Pluck our eye out. We're, we're smarter than that. But he it says, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell. Where the worm, third time, worm does not die. Fire is not quenched. Now say, I didn't spend too much time on hell. We need messages on our hell. Remember, that's what got me saved. It's what's kept me saved. Because I know that place exists and I do not want to go there. I thank God Jesus saved me from hell. Because you do realize we're born headed that direction? if it wasn't for Jesus stepping in and becoming a bridge, we'd all be there. Amen. Heaven. There's a heaven, there's a hell. If there's a wrong, there's a right. If there's a God, there's a devil. If there's a heaven, there's a hell heaven john 14 to 4 he says let your hearts not be troubled if you believe in god also believe in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you but i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you unto myself that where i am you will be also that where i go you know and you know the way the bible says how many know tonight, this verse right here, this is where I want to get down to. If this world is all we have, get your head and your eyes and your mind. Uh, yeah, we got to live this world. Yeah, we got to work. Yeah, we got to go to school. We got to do all that stuff. But get your mind up on heaven. Amen. We're going to spend a lot of time there. Amen. Y'all aren't even excited about heaven. Now I know you're tired. Amen. Philippians 3.18, this is some of the best verses in the whole Bible. Verse 20, Philippians 3.18 says, For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. And listen, he says, who set their mind on earthly things. People every day, church, live and build and go and work and do and save and spend and they're not doing anything for their eternity. That's a generic saying, but it's been said a thousand times. You're never going to see a hearse behind that casket. I mean, a a U-Haul, sorry, behind that hearse of that casket. Never. Can't take anything with you. But then he says in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we all eagerly await, await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed. How many, how many believe tonight and are ready for this old body, this, this messed up physical body that gets us in trouble to be transformed into incorruptible, amen, into the glorious body that God had when he said, I made you in my image. Where there'll be no pain, there'll be no sorrow, there'll be no aches, there'll be no crying, there'll be no tears, there'll be nothing wrong but everything right. That's what I'm looking forward to. Heaven. Write this down quickly as I close. I want you to focus tonight on three things. What kind of pastor would I be if I don't mention hell? What kind of pastor would I be if I don't mention the place that you can go if you reject Jesus? But I also know that if you'll accept Christ and believe Jesus and tell people about him, that's our place we're going is heaven. And the way we need to be ready, listen, is to focus on these three things. Number one, we need to focus on heaven. Heaven itself heaven, I I don't have time, it's a Wednesday night and time's flown on me already, but eternity with God our Father, I haven't even met him yet, none of us have even met him personally yet, none of us have hugged him yet, touched his hands and feet yet, but we're going to spend eternity with him, and I believe in him more than I believe in any of you that I can see with my physical eyes, because I feel his presence, I can't see the wind, but I feel the Holy Spirit, amen, I know it's there, and that wind of God changed my life. Amen? And I know, I know too much to go back. And Revelation 22, just write it down for later, talks all about heaven and how we're going to spend eternity with him. 21 talks about him wiping away all of our tears. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, neither has it even entered into the thought of man all the things that God has prepared For those who love him. Bill Gates and Solomon and all the things they had on this earth. Have nothing compared to what God has prepared for us tonight. Amen. If you've never had anything good on this earth. Don't worry. You're gonna. Number two. First I keep my eyes on heaven. Now listen. Not so much that I don't do anything down here. Because that's what two is going to do. There's there's some people. There's an old saying. They're so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. They live up in the clouds. Don't raise your hand or or elbow somebody next to you. Or that we all know somebody like that who's who's wis, you know wisping around on their wings in heaven, but they're on this earth. They're just up there. I guess y'all have never talked to anybody like that. They talk to you and you're like, huh? What good would it be for me to be so heavenly minded that I can't affect or touch somebody on this earth? I'm not going to be like this world but Paul said I become like all people and like all things that I might win one. I relate. Try Try to figure out how you can witness to somebody in a way they'll understand. Don't talk Christianese to them. Talk life to them. Second one is what do I focus on? What can I do on this earth to impact heaven? Y'all with me? What can I do to impact heaven? Listen, I, I, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have done more. But I know there's going to be some people, church, and I don't say this bad. I say this to continue to motivate you. If there's five days left before Jesus comes back, do something in the next five days for Jesus. Don't get up there and be disappointed that you didn't work for him. I'm so thankful that, that now looking back, we, we made some sacrifices. My family and I made some sacrifices to do some things for God. And we're never going to regret it. My daughters are serving the Lord. We have a a good marriage. We've seen God move. I'm thankful that I said yes and sacrificed some to see God move in my life and know that, hey, I haven't done everything I could have done, but when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be empty-handed. I was talking to the guy in our ministry. We started 15 years ago last night on Facebook just inboxing each other, and we were just reminiscing a little bit. He was sending pictures, and if you saw that ugly one, that's why. And he sent us an old picture when Desi was like two years old and we were just reminiscing. And we haven't talked, you know, we've hardly talked in the last few years because we haven't seen each other. But man, me and that man had some good times together. Some times in prayer. We went out and impacted the lives of children all over the country of Costa Rica. And today, 15 years later, they're still touching lives. And I can't wait to get to heaven and meet some of those kids that I've never even shook their hand, but they're going to be in heaven because I said there's more to this life Than just this. There's more. If this is it, what can I do to impact heaven? Proverbs 11:30 I said it Sunday, he who wins souls is wise. Matthew 6:19 says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Doesn't mean you can't have a savings account, it's not what it's saying saying that your priority and your focus would be that that money, those things, they're just for here. And many people do good with their money. They, they, you guys fund this gospel. We're in this building tonight because you fund this gospel with your tithes and your offerings. And we give. And that's why we're able to have a church and impact people. That's why we're, at, why we're able to send offerings over to Ireland. That's why we're able to send offerings to Mexico and send offerings to Africa. Because we're making a gospel impact. Amen? We're doing something for the Lord. But he says, don't lay it up on this earth. Don't keep it in your bank account. Because one day, church, maybe soon, over a 24-hour period, what you got in the bank's not going to be there no more. Somebody will catch that. Are you working for something that when this world strips you of everything, you still have riches in heaven? Send it up. Send it up where nobody can touch it. Third and final. Number one was keep your eyes on heaven, getting there. Paul said, I've run this race and I'm gonna finish it. Does anybody in here tonight know somebody who is not finishing that race right now? I do. I talk to them all the time, I talk to people all the time. Keep your eyes on heaven and getting there. And you know what? Here, let me just throw this out for you, real quick. Make sure you get there personally. Work on your salvation your walk. Listen, I've decided and I have to remind myself over and over again that I am called to be a pastor and I'm called to help and I'm called to pray and I'm called to preach, but I always got to come back to God, how's my walk? Am I okay with you? Lord, I want to make sure I get there. What good is it going to do for me to save a bunch of souls and then lose my own salvation? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Keep your eyes on heaven. If your eyes are on heaven, people around you are going to go with you. And the second, what can I do to impact heaven? What can I do to make sure somebody is there thanking me for getting them there? And the third is kind of hand in hand. How can I glorify God on this earth? How can I glorify God on this earth? Think about that. How can I glorify him? What, you know, this is where sometimes, I don't know about you. I wish I had that bigger platform, that bigger audience. I wish sometimes I could get the mic at a Cowboys game. I wish I could just, I wish I could just have the opportunity to give them 10 minutes to talk somewhere where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I can just share my faith. I, I think, man, those some of these athletes. Some of these singers, some of these actors, some of these people have this platform that they can impact the world. How many of us have thought a million times, oh, if so-and-so would get saved? Right? Don't we think that all the time? If so-and-so, you put it in there, actor, singer, whatever it is you like, ballerina person, ice skater, whatever, motorcycle rider, whatever it is you like, we all like different things. Oh, if they just get saved, the world would change. But you know what? That's not how it works. You know how the world changes? One-on-one evangelism. What microphone and platform did the 12 disciples have? They went one-on-one. They went out and they began to preach the gospel. And they made it to the whole world. With no microphone. So I come back to say, Okay, God, I can only affect and, and do what I can do when the place you give me. And if I'll be faithful in a little, you'll give me much. But your desire has to be, Lord, in everything I do, let me glorify you. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who's called by my name, whom I've created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Can you stop on that for just a second before we close and thank God? Thank God, do I glorify you in everything I do? I'm not saying that to condemn you to make you feel bad. We fail. We're going to fail on that. But how many know we can wake up in the morning and say, God, would you help me glorify you in everything I do? Please, Father, help me. Amen. The Musicians, you can come tonight, but as they come, please don't start thinking about dinner. Keep your eyes, keep your focus on the the word. God, what can I do to glorify you? You know, it's an old-fashioned statement. But the saying goes, this, sorry, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. You are the only Bible some people will ever hear. You are the only exposure some people will ever have. You know, we think sometimes, we take for granted, we think, oh, everybody knows. Everybody knows. You know, this last week, I ran into somebody at the gym and I, and I took an opportunity to share my faith and I began to witness right there one on one to this person and I began to ask that person I began to use opportunities and things the Lord was speaking to me and I said to that person what are you going to do if you die what would you do if you died tonight and his answer was well I hope I would be reincarnated that was his answer well I hope I would be reincarnated well I said how, how would you know you'd be reincarnated well I think and I hope and we kept talking and everything he said was I hope and I think and I said you're putting a lot of hope and a lot of think in your eternity and I said give me, give me an example I did this last Wednesday I talked about soul winning let me give you a way to refute that first of all Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed under man once to die not 15 times not five times, not twice. It's appointed unto man, once to die, then comes judgment. And the second one is, I said, okay, let's just say that that's true, that we do get reincarnated. Because sometimes you need to let them think. Don't you say, ah. Let's just say that's true. I said, tell me if you die and you're reincarnated, who is the person, there's got to be somebody, who's telling you who you're coming back as. Gotta be somebody who's telling you that you're good or bad, whether you're gonna come back as a pig or a butterfly. Right? There has to be somebody deciding that. You don't decide it. And I got him back to it. There has to be a creator. And I got him over to the word. And long story short, I started texting him. I got his number and I started texting him. I gave him that Roman road I told y'all about. And he got saved that night. He asked Jesus into his heart that night, and this week he sent me back several Bible verses. I hope you would get excited about someone getting saved. He's sending me verses back that God's showing him, and I'm hoping he's going to be here someday. What am I doing to glorify God? I want to close with a quick, powerful story. Can I close with a story? All right, I'm going to do it anyways. Thank you for giving me permission. You might have heard this one it's a good one though after a few of the usual Sunday songs the church's pastor slowly stood up walked over to the pulpit and before he gave his sermon for the evening he briefly introduced a guest minister just kind of like we had last week Pastor Chris who was in the service that evening visiting and he said the pastor told the congregation that the guest minister was one of his dearest childhood friends and that he wanted to just say something to the congregation so to greet, the church, to greet the church and share whatever he had on his heart. So that, with that, the elderly man stood up to the pulpit and began to speak. He says, I want to tell you a story tonight. A father and his son and a friend of his son were sailing off on the Pacific coast, he began, when a fast approaching storm blocked any attempt of at them getting back to the shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, He could not keep the boat upright and the three were swept into the ocean as the boat capsized. The old man hesitated for a moment making contact with two teenagers who were there that for the first time since the service began were somewhat interested in the story. The aged minister continued with his story. Grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life to which boy would he throw the other end of the lifeline he only had seconds to make the decision the father knew that his son was a Christian and he knew also that his son's friend was not the agony of his decision could not be matched by the waves that were crashing against them he knew he had no time to make the decision and he yelled out to his son I love you son and he threw the lifeline out to his son's friend By the time the father had pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, the son had disappeared into the raging sea, into the black of the night. The body was never recovered. By this time, the two teenagers were now sitting up straight in the pew, anxiously listening for the next words to come out of the old minister's mouth. The father, he continued, knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus, and he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping in to eternity without Jesus therefore he sacrificed his son to save the son's friend how great is the love of God that he should do the same for us our heavenly father sacrificed his only begotten son that we would be saved and the old man says I urge you to accept his offer to rescue you and take hold of the lifeline tonight he's throwing it out to you in this service and with that the old man turned and went back to his chair Silence filled the room. The pastor again walked slowly to the pulpit, delivered a sermon quickly, and gave an invitation at the end, but nobody responded. Within minutes after the service ended, the two teenagers were immediately at the old man's side. They said, That was a nice story, sir, but I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his only son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. He says, son, you've got a point there. And Glancing down at his old worn Bible, a big smile broadened his narrow face. He looked up again at the boys and said, it sure isn't very realistic. Is it? But I'm standing here to tell you today that the story gives me a glimpse of what it would have been like for God to give up his son for me. says you see I was that father and your pastor is my son's friend true story that's the gospel we may not be out to sea we may not be in the place where our lives are in that moment ending But every single day we are given the opportunity to throw the line out throw that line out that's what God did he gave his own life so that we could be saved and the bottom line is we either accept it or we reject it and I want you to think tonight as we close our eyes and bow our heads if this I want you personally to think this if this life is all we have if this is it are you willing To be okay with the life you live right now is it enough are you happy with that think about that personally not asking you to ask your spouse I'm not asking you to ask your son your daughter I'm asking you to think about that yourself tonight if this is it whether your life is good or whether it's bad if it's really bad wouldn't that be horrible if this was it a bad life was all you had to look forward to you're just gonna die and you just lived a bad life or you say, man, my life's really good and if that was it though, you just lived a good life and that's it? Well, God says in his word, that's not it. We will spend eternity somewhere.